0: Good to be able to gather together tonight, uh, unite together as a a body of believers. Uh, If you're not sure who I am, I'm uh, Aaron, the senior pastor at Eureka Bible Church. Uh, Just looking out, I love the picture now. Right, it's Holy Week. Good Friday tonight, Easter coming up on Sunday. It's one of those weeks where churches and different traditions, the, the temptation is to retreat, right? Pull back, do things the way we're used to, do it kind of how we do things, but yet here we are gathered together tonight as a body because, let's be honest, Good Friday, Easter is bigger than any sort of specific denomination, specific tradition, and so I love the fact that this is the third year now that we've been gathering together and uniting on this day when... When it might be tempting to kind of pull back and do things separately. So, I've got a question for you. Have you ever cried out to God in the midst of pain or hardship or sorrow, suffering, and wondered why God seemed distant? Why God seemed unresponsive? You know, have you ever maybe even felt a little bit sinful? Admitting to the fact that you might question God, question his purposes, question his presence. Well, if there's ever a night to talk about that, I think tonight's the night. Tonight's the night to talk about that. If you've ever, you know, found yourself in that place before, you're not alone. You're not alone. There's people here tonight who have been in that place before, maybe are in that place right now. And I think as we'll see as we take a look at Scripture tonight that David, for one, was in that place. David had questions. And I think what we'll see as well is that that Jesus was in a place like that where there was pain and suffering and and sorrow and that type of situation that would have prompted those same questions. And so at, at first glance, right, Good Friday can seem like such an awkward event around which to gather together and worship. I mean, Dave started talking about how there's victory in in Good Friday and there is victory in it, but at first glance, it can seem awkward because on that Friday afternoon so long ago, God himself was humiliated and God was tortured and God was beaten and whipped and taunted and mocked and eventually nailed up onto a cross. And so at first glance, it might have seemed like a resounding defeat, don't you think? Might have seemed like God himself had lost. Might have seemed that Jesus had lost. Might have seemed that any who placed their faith in that carpenter from Nazareth had lost as well. So I think that Friday afternoon so long ago was, was probably a, a Friday full of questions Full of questions from especially from those who knew Jesus, right? You think about the disciples. The disciples had seen Jesus perform crazy miracles. Crazy miracles, displays of power that that you and I would love to see, right? The disciples saw that, and yet you just have to wonder what were they thinking when Jesus was taken away and nailed up to a cross? He could-I mean, three nails? Could three nails really defeat Jesus? You think about Mary. Mary was told by the angel that your boy, Mary, your boy would reign forever. He would possess a kingdom that would never end. And here it seems like, man, those Romans, they won again. And you think about Lazarus. Lazarus, just a few weeks before, himself had been dead. Himself had been in a tomb. And Jesus rose him from the dead. And yet here it seems like Jesus can't do anything for himself as he is crucified on the cross. And Jesus, Jesus himself, God's son, who earlier in his ministry had stated, I and the Father are one, you hear him crying out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? That is perhaps the most painful gut-wrenching, sorrowful cry known to man. And Jesus mouthed those words from the cross. Those are the words I want to focus on tonight. Uh, You may know or you may not know that those words that Jesus spoke from the cross were not first spoken by Jesus. He did not come up with those words in that moment. Those words had been penned by David, so long ago as he wrote Psalm chapter 22. Those words were an exact quotation from the beginning of Psalm chapter 22. And so Bible scholars would talk about how it was, uh, how it was common for a rabbi in that time to, to quote the first line of a, of a psalm or the first portion of Scripture in order to get you to reference that whole portion of Scripture in your mind. Right? So if I stood up here and said, hey, we're going we're gonna to go look at... A certain passage of scripture, I would say turn with me to Psalm chapter 22. And we'd leaf through our Bibles or we'd, you know, poke on our phones and get to Psalm chapter 22. But take yourself back then. There weren't numbers in the scriptures then. There weren't chapter numbers. There weren't verse numbers. And then even beyond that, most people didn't have their own copy of of the Old Testament text. So if you were a rabbi and you wanted to reference a passage of Scripture, how would you do it? Well, you would quote the beginning of it, and everybody who had that memorized in their minds would kind of mentally go to there. And so what we see Jesus doing on the cross, I guess all that to say is when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's quite likely that he was doing more than just borrowing a single line from David in order to communicate what he was feeling in that instant. He was, he was pointing those at the cross, and, and by extension, us today, as, as we read this in the Gospels, he was pointing us to Psalm chapter 22. He was pointing us to that specific passage of Scripture. So, for real, this time, let's turn to Psalm chapter 22. And we'll see what it was that Jesus was drawing our attention, attention to on the cross. Now as we read through this psalm, there's really three different lenses that we need to have as we read this. And all three of these, uh, they must be held in tension together as we read it. So the first lens would be, would be the perspective of David. David was the one who penned these words. Um, he was inspired by God, and these words came out of his experience. So there's the lens of David. And then there's also the lens of Jesus, who quoted these words. So we can read these words from his perspective as he hung on the cross. And then the third lens would be our own lens, Our own lens and the questions that we have when we face sorrow and and suffering and pain of some kind. So we're going to kind of balance those lenses and maybe jump back and forth a little bit as we're going through this. Now depending on what translation of Scripture you have, if you look at it, you might notice that the verses are kind of grouped together into groups. And it's, you can maybe note that there's some extra space in between some of the verses. And what that does is it just, it, it notes for us that David is jumping back and forth between, between lament and uh, remembrance, and then lament and remembrance, and back to lament, and then there's a plea. And then at the end, he eventually gets to the declaration of future victory. And so we'll kind of follow that, you know, based on those groups of verses there. So so as we read through this passage, we can discover what David did with his questions and emotions. We can discover what Jesus was pointing us to. And then hopefully we will discover what we can do with our questions and emotions as well. So Psalm chapter 22, follow along with me, starting in verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. So we don't know the exact situation that David faced when he wrote these words. But it's clear that there's, there's deep sorrow and there's deep doubt within David as he writes this. I mean, he's clearly wondering, God, why are you not answering me? What's going on here? And the silence from God really stands in stark contrast to David himself because he is crying out to God. He says, day and night, I'm crying out. And yet it seems like what he hears back is, is silence, silence from God. Maybe we can relate to that a little bit. You know, when we, when we go through those times in our lives that are, that are sorrowful or painful or where there's suffering, it, it, it can seem like we're just consumed by that and we're crying out to God day and night. It may not matter what time of day it is or where we are or what's going on around us. That, that thing can be right on the front of our minds maybe sometimes we'll wake up in the morning and have that brief moment of freedom where we kind of forget about it and then all of a sudden it comes back and, oh yeah, there it is back on the front of our minds again. And there's kind of this this consistent cry. We cry out to God. I think this is what David is doing here. He's in that type of situation. Day and night, he's crying out to God. And so in verse 3, David moves from lament to Remembrance but as he remembers, it's almost like salt is being thrown on his wounds. Look at what he says in verse 3. He says, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises, and you, our ancestors, put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. So David's reminded that God is the Almighty God. He is the Holy One. There is there is no one else who is who's more equipped and more able to save him from his present situation than God himself. And not only that, throughout history, David's ancestors had put their faith and their trust in God, and, and God had delivered them. He'd cried out, they, they had cried out, and God had saved them. They trusted in God and they weren't disappointed. So while it's important for David to remember that about God, remember those truths, it must have been so frustrating for him in his present situation because he thinks back and it's it's God coming through again and again and again and God responding again and again and again. And here he is crying out and it's silence. It's silence had to have been frustrating. His his present experience was not matching up with what he remembered to be past truths about God. And again, I, we can face those situations, right, where we look back on what God has done in our life in the past, or maybe we hear about what God has done in other people's lives in the past, or we read in scripture about what God has done, and it's like God, what's going on? The present situation doesn't seem to match up with, with these biblical truths about who you are. But it's in those moments where it is crucial that we hang on to those truths, even when they don't match up with the present situation. And that's so much easier said than done, right? Aaron, it's so easy for you to just stand up there and say that, you know, in those moments, hold on to truth. And I get that, and I think David got that too. I mean, look at his words in verse 6. So he just remembered God and how God had delivered his ancestors. Then he says, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. David was not feeling like, the Holy One who had delivered his people in the past, was coming through for him in in that moment. In fact, God's own people were the ones mocking and insulting and shaking their heads at David in that moment. They weren't going to do anything to help David in his distress. If he had any hope for deliverance, it would only come from God. The God whom, according to David's own words, had already forsaken him. Now, now we'll kind of come back through this psalm in a minute and we'll really put on the Jesus lens. But for right now, I, I mean, are we beginning to grasp some of the emotion that Jesus must have been feeling on the cross? I mean, it, it is hard to read these words from David's perspective, first off. But then you think about, man, how much, how much harder must that have been for Jesus as he hung on the cross and points us back to These words here in Psalm chapter 20, or uh, yeah, Psalm chapter 22. And so, as David dwelled on the taunts from the people about how he delighted in the Lord, he couldn't help but turn the tables and remember how the Lord used to delight in him, what he would say. So, look at verse 9. He says, Yet you brought me out of the womb, you made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. So so not only had God proven mighty back through history, back for David's ancestors, David says, I can even remember even in my own life you have proven to be the rescuer. Have, you have proven yourself to be the Almighty God. I mean, from his birth, he was able to recall God's goodness and God's mercy in his life. And from that perspective, that opening cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, that, that takes on an even more painful tone, doesn't it? I mean, it's like, God, I, I can think back in my own life. Now, what, what's going on here now? What's going on, God? God has seemingly forsaken the one in whom he used to delight. And so it's, it's in this utter desperation that David again, he cried out to God. He begged God not to be far from him in verse 11. But then the contrast there is he feels like God is far away, but then yet trouble is right there near him. And so David's attention is, is again drawn away from God and, and to what he is experiencing, his, to his present situation. So look at verse 12. David writes, Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. it is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. Now it is most likely at this point that David begins to symbolically describe the the pain and suffering that he is enduring. It is it is not likely that he experienced anything specifically and exactly like he was describing here. His pain may have seemed like what he describes here, but in reality, this is most likely a poetic way for him to give words to what he is feeling at that moment. But again, as we go and double back over this with with our Jesus lens, you maybe have picked it up there, man, that sounds an awful lot like the crucifixion. And what we'll see was poetic and symbolic and David's life turned out to be literal in the life of Jesus. And so, Dave, again, as, as, as David describes his pain and describes his suffering, he once again, he, he moves once more to cry out to God, verse 19. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouths of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. So again, David again begged God to, to not be far off, to come near. He asked God to be his strength and to deliver him and rescue him, to save him. And amidst all of the questions David had surrounding God's presence and God's lack of action, his faith in God remained. It remained. He still recognized that only God could provide the deliverance that he sought. Even though he wasn't feeling it, even though he was confused, I'm sure, about the timing of it, how it would take place, his faith remained. He still called out to God. He didn't look somewhere else. So David faced an incredible situation, whatever those details were. I mean, it it is clear, David is... He's racked with pain and sorrow. And his list of questions for God was long. And it was out of that experience that David penned these words, inspired by God. And then it was on a Roman cross, about a thousand years later, that Jesus cried out and he focused everybody's attention back on these words of David. So let's read back through We'll read back through just the laments, but let's put on our our Jesus lens and think about the the story, the event of the crucifixion as we read these words. So back in verse 1, again, we already said Jesus mouthed these words from the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. So we know Jesus mouthed those first words, that first line. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But even verse 2, even verse 2 connects. It was daytime as Jesus was nailed to the cross. But the Gospels tell us that from noon to 3 p.m. darkness came over the land. So in a sense, Jesus was crying out both day and night during the crucifixion. And even if you go back to the cries of Jesus that started the night before in Gethsemane, it was dark then. So so either way, Jesus is crying out to God both day and night. And then we look at verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. So the gospel writers tell us in detail that the religious leaders despised, mocked, and shook their heads at Jesus. I mean, isn't that crazy? David wrote that people shook their heads at him, and then Matthew and Mark both clearly state to us that people shook their heads at Jesus as he was hanging on the cross. I mean, there's incredible prophecy taking place here. This is a thousand years before Jesus. And then on top of that, verse 8 blows me away. Here's what we'll do. You look at verse 8 in, uh, in your Bible, and I'm going to read Matthew chapter 27, verse 43. And just listen as I read this. This is what Matthew says uh, was spoken to Jesus. He says "He trusts in God. let God rescue him now if He wants him. for he said, "I am the Son of God." I mean, that's incredible, right? The, the quotes that David writes here is, is near word perfect what was spoken to Jesus as he hung on the cross. I mean, some people will claim that Jesus is only a human, and he only fulfilled the many prophecies because he knew Scripture really well, and he kind of made it all happen. Um, I'm not sure how the birth in Bethlehem works with that. I don't know anyone that can choose where they are born, if you're just a man. But then even here, I mean, uh, the last thing these religious leaders, the the enemies of Jesus, the last thing they wanted to do was fulfill prophecy that was going to point to Jesus being the Messiah. But yet they did. They did. They fulfilled this prophecy by speaking these words before Jesus. And so then we get to that symbolic section, verses 12 through 18. I mean, this is incredible. I mean, keep in mind, David wrote this centuries before crucifixion was even invented as a way to kill people. Centuries before. It wasn't even a thing yet. And David wrote these words inspired by God. So in verse 14, David symbolically talks about being poured out like water. We know that a, that a product of crucifixion is extreme dehydration. and Part of that is just from being out in the sun for that length of time. But other part of it is, is it's just there's an intense struggle for every breath when a person is crucified. And so it would have led to, to massive amounts of perspiration. And then, in addition to all that, after his death, Jesus' side was pierced and water and blood flowed from him. So Jesus was literally being poured out like water upon the cross. And then you look at uh, verse, let's see, verse 15. He says, My mouth is dried like a potsherd, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. I mean, again, again, David's talking symbolically here, but we know Jesus, as he hung on the cross, was thirsty, and he spoke that thirst. I mean, so Jesus' tongue was literally sticking to the roof of his mouth as he hung on the cross. Then you look at verse 17. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. I mean, so again, David is symbolically talking about his bones being out of joint. We know that, a, that, that quite common in crucifixion is the dislocation of, of joints. I mean, man is not meant to hang like this, supporting his body weight for an extended period of time. So Jesus' bones were literally coming out of joint as he hung on the cross. I mean, David talked about his, his heart... Uh, turning to wax, melting within him. I mean, medical doctors will tell us that, that the pour of water and blood from the side of Jesus would have been the result of a ruptured heart within him. So Jesus' heart was literally destroyed within him as he hung on the cross. I mean, David talked about symbolically having his hands and his feet pierced. Now, we know that typically the more humane method of crucifying someone was to tie them to a cross. I mean, being nailed to a cross really was reserved for the worst of the worst. That was just the worst criminals were nailed to the cross. And yet, it's recorded that Jesus, though innocent, was literally pierced and nailed to the cross. You know, David symbolically talked about uh, his bones being on display, people gloating over him. And we know that as Jesus hung on the cross, most likely naked, that he would have literally been on display for all to see. His maimed body was literally on display. And it is recorded that religious leaders and soldiers literally mocked him and gloated over him as he hung on the cross. And then in verse 18, David talked about symbolically lots being cast for his clothes. And again, all four gospel writers record the fact that literal lots were cast for Jesus' garment. They thought it'd be worth more if they kept it in one piece. And this is incredible. A thousand years before Jesus, as David gives words to his suffering, he's prophesying what Jesus would go through. So, as Jesus hung on the cross, as he mouthed those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think there's two main things we can take from that cry. I think there's two main things. First, I think Jesus is calling us to consider the incredible pain and agony that, that he was going through. In, in case it wasn't apparent, uh, apparent to those there, in case it's not apparent to us, reading it in the scriptures so many years later, you know, Jesus directed us to Psalm 22 where, where David described his own pain and agony in such incredible detail. And so maybe even Psalm 22 gives you a voice and gives me a voice for any pain and suffering and sorrow that we may be experiencing in our lives. And, and if that is so, we can, we can rest assured that God is not just aware of what we are going through, but has lived it has fully experienced incredible pain and sorrow and suffering. Jesus felt the feelings of abandonment. Jesus asked the questions of what the Father was doing. So there really is no need to attempt to hide those feelings from God or be anything less than honest about them. There really isn't. Jesus is our merciful and faithful high priest who has been made like us in every way and went through this. So he knows. He knows. Anything that we are going through, he has been through periods of life with intense pain and suffering and agony. And then second, and I think perhaps even more important, Jesus was ensuring that those in the cross, those at the cross, those of us reading today, that we would rightly understand that Jesus is the promised Messiah. That he fulfilled every single detail of Psalm 22 in incredible detail. Many, that was, many details that are out of his control at that point. He fulfilled them in incredible detail. There's no question that the man who hung on the cross was not just fully man, but was also fully God. He was the prophesied Messiah who was to come. He was the one that the entire Old Testament looked forward to. Not just Psalm 22, but the entire Old Testament looked forward to Jesus. He is the one that the entire New Testament church is built upon. He's the one. So there's 10 more verses in Psalm 22 that we haven't got to yet. And those verses are absolutely essential when it comes to times of pain and agony. And we'll get to them. We will get to them tonight, I promise, but we're going to get to them after communion. And For right now, we're just going to linger a little bit longer on the first 22, 21 verses. And so what we're going to do is uh, the band's going to come up and, and they're going to play the song, we're going to sing the song, Man of Sorrows, before we take communion together. And the lyrics in that really, really speak to the fact that Jesus took on intense pain and agony. Physical pain, uh, emotional pain, relational pain, spiritual pain. He took all that on himself as he hung in in my place and as he hung in your place on the cross. We know the wages of sin is death. And so it should have been you and me that went through that. It should have been you and me that took that penalty upon ourselves for the sin that we've committed in our lives. But Jesus willingly took on Psalm 22. I mean, this is what blows me away. David was not ultimately in control of his life. You and I are not ultimately in control of our lives. Jesus probably read Psalm 22 for the first time as a young boy. And he knew. He knew that Psalm 22 was him. He knew that he was reading the last moments of his own life. And yet, he went. He went. We've been doing a series at Eureka Bible on on the road to Jerusalem. Jesus walked that road to Jerusalem, even knowing full well what awaited him. And that is incredible that is incredible. So as we take communion, the bread and the juice that we hold, it's, it's not just the guarantee of our salvation. It is that, but it is also the display of some incredible love for me, incredible love for you. I mean, Jesus walked toward Psalm 22. That's incredible. So we're going to we're going to close our time, we're going to sing a song and then we're going to take communion. Uh, before I forget, there is gluten-free communion in the back, if you would like that. You can go back by whatever the coffee shop is called. It's back there. You can get the gluten-free back there. So we're going to sing Man of Sorrows, and we're going to have some elders from each church come and pass out the elements, and then I will come back up and lead us through communion wow. together.
1: Stand with us. Man of sorrows, man.
0: think about the the last supper uh, the night before the crucifixion of Jesus uh, and again as he as he took the bread and broke it he was pointing ahead to what would take place but then he willingly walked toward what would take place again another i mean there was one more chance there right to to leave, to go do something else. I mean, in, in Gethsemane, we, you hear the, the, the agony. He, he knows what lies ahead of him. And yet, as Jesus broke the bread in front of his disciples, he continued to walk that journey that would see his body be broken as he hung upon the cross. What an incredible display of love for us. So let's eat together. And then again, with the cup, as we sang in that song, his love being poured out over us. I mean, it's a literal picture of the blood of Jesus being poured out of him as he hung on the cross. And then here that is another awesome display of love for us, that he poured himself out completely, that we might experience victory and experience freedom from sin. So let's drink together. So as we close, I, I said there were, there were 10 more verses in Psalm 22. I mean, in times of pain, and times of agony, it can be difficult to understand God's purposes. I think that's why the first two statements in Psalm 22 are why questions. Why God? Why God? But in the midst of pain and of agony, we can rest assured that God's purposes are being fulfilled and that victory is at hand. And so David looked forward to that victory, as he went through what he was experiencing. Jesus looked forward to the victory that was being secured through what took place on the cross. And then as well, we also ought to look forward to the victory that we have that has been purchased for us as we go through those times of pain and agony. So let me read, let me read the victory for us that David wrote. In verse 22, he said, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly, Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring it to a people yet unborn. He has done it. He has done it. It is finished. Right. That is the victory. It is finished. And so we are going to conclude the song we didn't sing all of man of sorrows but we're going to sing about the victory that those lyrics speak of in the last part of the verse he has done it he has won the victory so let's worship together let's stand as we close our time together and worship
1: as yeah, mine.
2: Good evening everyone my name is Tim Franks I am the associate pastor at Eureka Bible Church um, I this was my first opportunity to be a part of this tonight and I was very excited coming into this but I am very encouraged even more so encouraged coming out of this what a wonderful opportunity to worship together as two bodies of, as body of believers Christ as two bodies of believers as of Christ and so I am just so thankful for the opportunity to worship and thank you very much cross point for hosting us this year and be a part of this um, I wanted to close by saying that my son, Michael, that's been living with us for a little while now, he's nine-year-old. He asked me the question a couple days ago, why do we call this Good Friday? And as I stumbled around thinking of how to answer this to a, a child that does not had a limited opportunity to hear the gospel, um, that it was a nine-year-old, I was reminded that I need to go to the Word of God. The Word of God can tell us why this is Good Friday. And so as a closing tonight, as a lasting impression of why we, why we can call this Good Friday, I want to read a passage of scripture um, that we've talked about a little bit tonight. Um, Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 through 6. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows like, and acquainted with grief. As from one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet he esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with the wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now that is Good Friday. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity for the, to be here tonight, to worship with my fellow body of believers, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we are so thankful for what you did, what we celebrate today as Good Friday, that you died on the cross so that you, we could be saved from our sins, Lord. Lord, I'm thank, so thankful for what you've taught us from Psalm 22, from Isaiah 53, from other passages of Scripture in the New Testament that we see just what it is, why we can call this Good Friday, and why we are here to celebrate tonight. And Lord, as we look forward to Sunday and, and celebrating the Resurrection Day, Lord, I pray that we'll be reminded of our, why you went to the cross and why it was important that you did rise on the third day that we'll celebrate on Sunday. Lord, I'm thankful for Cross Point Church and all that they do uh, with the gospel and Lord, for Eureka Bible Church and that we have the opportunity to come together to unified body of believers and to worship your name tonight. Lord, I pray that we will continue to do many of these things to bring the gospel to the community of Eureka that you have placed us in. Lord, be with us as we go tonight to have that lasting impression and be reminded of the fact that this is Good Friday and there's a reason why we can call it that. Lord, be with us as we go throughout this weekend and help us to continue to be reminded of the gospel message and give us opportunities to share that gospel message with those that have not heard it and those that don't believe it. We pray all these things in your great and gracious name. Amen. We are dismissed.